0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. I uh, wonder if there are any history buffs this morning. Any history buffs? Okay, several of y'all. So my wife loves history. And so lately she has been watching this special on the History Channel called The World Have Wars. Anybody seen this? Uh, and, and it's incredible. She, she loves it. And, and I, so I've kind of, as I've been hanging out with her, I've watched it myself. And what they do is they highlight these world leaders, people like Hitler and Mussolini and Stalin and Churchill. And when you see these world leaders, they live their lives completely focused on dominating. Right? They were consumed with conquering territories, taking over nations, and it consumed them. Uh, the place that they were most comfortable was on the battlefield. And they were overwhelmed by this. And before these guys, the World Wars, you had guys like Alexander the Great and Napoleon and these men, And they were literally consumed with one thing. They had one focus in their life, and that was conquering and dominating. Uh, and, and I think when I, when I think about those kind of world leaders and that kind of focus that they had on one thing... I think it's a a great picture of the Apostle Paul. Uh, We see in the life of the Apostle Paul one central focus. He was completely consumed. His mind, his emotions, his energy were completely consumed with knowing Christ and leading other people to know him. And so he was able to go through... Beatings. He was able to be put in prison. He was able to go through times of sickness and struggle, being rejected. And in all of this, he, he didn't step aside from his focus because he was consumed with it, consumed with the task. And, and how is this possible? right? How is it possible to have this kind of focus in your life, this kind of purpose in your life? Well, I think in summary, the only way that is possible for us is through the gospel.
1: And we're going to look at a couple
0: truths out of the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, And in this, this chapter, we're going to see how it is that Paul is able to have this focus. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. who through Christ reconciled us to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, thank you for the chance to celebrate salvations at camp with our students. Thank you for the work that you've done through your spirit. Thank you for the chance to to baptize Patrick, to see the work you've done in his life. And Lord, thank you for the chance to sing worship songs, to praise you for the work that your Spirit has done in our lives. And Father, I pray that your Spirit has already been work; and would continue to work through your Word. God, teach us how we are called to live through the teachings of, of Scripture. And so, Father, this is our prayer to you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Uh, when well, we see a couple truths about, we well, two specific truths on how it is that we are able to have this kind of of. Unity, this kind of focus in our lives. And we see it through the gospel. At first, we see the gospel redirects our desire for approval. The gospel redirects our desire for approval. Now, what we see in verse 13 is basically what Paul is saying is, there are certain people who think I'm crazy, right? And I really don't care. There's people who look at his life, they look at the sufferings he's willing to endure, they they look at the message that he preaches, and they say, Paul, you have to be out of your mind. Right? Have you ever had anyone say that to you? Have you ever had anyone say to you that because of what you believe, or the way that you live, or the fact that you give up certain pleasures of sin... Or the fact that, that you give your time and money to serve the church. All for a God that other people would say, we well, can't even see this God. And have you ever had people say that? Are you crazy? Have you ever been maybe sharing the gospel and, and thought of yourself, man, this sounds crazy. I, I know I've had that experience. And so, and so here's the deal. is like Paul. We probably all have had these experiences where other people look at us. The things that we say, the way that we live, and they say you must be crazy. How many students do we have here this morning? Soon. Uh, several of y'all, how many of y'all were at camp this week? Alright, that is impressive that you've gone through a week of camp and you're here this morning. That's awesome. So, if you're a student, I promise you this. right, If you're a student and you live for Christ, other students will think you're crazy. There, there's no doubt about it. The fact that you're not going to the parties they're going to, that you're not getting drunk, that you're not sleeping with your boyfriend and girlfriend, that, that you're willing to put aside things that please you in order to serve and please Christ. People, students, will think that you are crazy. right? And, and this is just part of the life of a Christian. I would honestly say that if people, if, if for all of us this point, if no one thinks we're a little off, if, if no one looks at our lives... And says, that doesn't make sense. We that we should have a problem with that. Right? Now, now, I'm not saying that people look at you and say you're odd and crazy because you do things like smell your armpits, and I eat your boogers, nothing like that. That's just weird.
1: But I'm saying that
0: people should look at the difference in their life. The fact that you live for things that are so different from what the world looks, lives for that they should think that you are a little bit crazy. Now, how is it possible that we can have this focus like Paul of not caring about what other people think of us? I mean, let's be honest. All of us, in some way, want people to like us. We, we just care that. Even, even if it's a small group of people, we care, to some degree, what other people think about us. So how is it possible to live in such a way that we're not concerned about the approval of other people? And that we're not constantly wondering if, if other people like us or are pleased with us. Well, I think we see this in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10. This is the secret. This is how we can live, not seeking the approval of other people. It says in verse 9, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please who? To please Him, to please Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. How is it that Paul can say that he doesn't care about the approval or opinions of those around him who think he's crazy? Because he's consumed with the approval of someone else. Right? He is, he is so focused on pleasing Christ, it consumes his mind to the point that he doesn't care about anyone else's opinion. Why? Because he knows, as we see in these verses, that one day he's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's not going to stand before any other person as judged. Think about this in your own life. Right? I, I really do think about this in this. One day we will stand before Christ and no one else. But we're not, we're not going to take anyone with us to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. On that day, we will not be concerned about the approval of other people. We really won't be when we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, looking at Him. We won't be wondering how our clothes look, right? We won't be wondering about how impressive our six-pack abs are, right? We won't be concerned about how cool we look. Why? Because our minds will be. Really focused on Christ, and, and so Paul says, "I know that I know that one day I'll stand before Christ, and none of these other people." And so I'm going to start living for that right now. Right, I'm going to start living my life on a daily, hourly basis, focused not on pleasing other people, but on pleasing Christ. And I'll tell you, I think that's the only way we can live a life to please Christ. Because if we're if we're constantly concerned about the opinion and approval of other people, we'll never really serve Christ. But if we recognize this, what Paul does that ultimately we are, we are focused on serving him, we will stand before Christ and no one else as our judge. We're not concerned about it. This is what Jesus says himself. Matthew 10, 28. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He has this main primary focus. Now let me ask uh, have you ever had a time in your life when something was was so filling and consuming your mind that you didn't think about anything else? Maybe it's. I remember when I was a little kid. Maybe some of, we got some some kids in here this morning. When you're laying there at night and you start to get scared, what do you hear? Every little noise, right? And everything you hear or shadows you see, you're convinced is like some type of monster and your mind is completely fixated on it. You can't think about anything else. Or or maybe, uh, as you get older, uh, you start thinking, maybe you're a college student, and your mind is consumed with an exam. Right? Like, you've got an exam coming up tomorrow that you really don't know the material, and you can't think about anything else. Your mind is consumed with the material that you've got to know to pass that exam. Or, Or maybe... It's when you, you fall in love for the first time. People remember your first love. right? What do you think about during the day? Your mind is filled with, with her or, or him. Right? And you're completely consumed with that. And your mind doesn't think about these other things. Or, or maybe you have a task that you're focused on. Like, like a woman's briefcase that you've got to get to her in Aspen, Colorado. Right? <laughs> Samsonite on the swale. Something, some, some task, some focus that consumes your mind. And this is a picture of what Paul says. And so, what does this mean practically? If our mind is so consumed with pleasing Christ and focused on Him, then we're not going to be concerned about the awkwardness we feel when we share the gospel with the lost around us. Right? We're, we're not concerned about being uncomfortable. We're not concerned about about sacrificing pleasure, maybe for sin. We're we're not concerned uh, about things like like giving our time and money and energy to serve the church. We're we're not concerned, this is a big one, I'm really convinced that this is a huge one, about leading our families, our kids, boldly to love and follow Christ, even if the people around us think we're crazy. I promise you, if you lead your family to follow Christ, to serve Him, to to actually do what the Bible calls you to do, people will think you're odd. But if your mind is consumed with pleasing Christ, you're not concerned about that. Ultimately, like Paul does, he he basically says, I'm focused on loving Christ and loving others, and I don't worry about the rest. That that simplifies things, doesn't it? Because there's all these things, decisions we have to make. And he says, basically, if you are focused on loving and serving Christ, And loving others and not worrying about the rest, everything will fall in place. Now that sounds really easy to say up here. But how do we actually do that? How is it possible to have this kind of mindset? How is it possible to have this kind of focus and purpose in life? Well, it's not possible in our own ability. It's absolutely not. And that's why we need to see the second point here. That ultimately the gospel reveals God's deep love for us. The gospel reveals God's deep love for us. It's not possible to do on our own ability. We have to understand God's love for us and what He does in us and through us. And what Paul says here in verse 14 is that the love of Christ constrains or controls us. Now what does this mean? The love of Christ constrains or controls us. The picture here is literally that the love of Christ presses down upon us and pushes us forward. That's the picture, and it's like a river. I and mean, if you're in a powerful river, the force of the water presses down on you and pushes you forward. How many of you all have been uh, rafting on a river? We are in—we're we're in a beautiful area of the world, and I know there's some great rafting. I've been rafting on the Akoi, not far from here. And when you're in that part uh, of the river where the things are really moving fast, the water's moving fast. How many of you all have ever fallen out of a raft? Anybody? Okay, a few folks got some scars there. When you fall out in those kind of places where the force of the water is pushing you, how effective is it to swim upstream? How far are you gonna get by just you know just killing it, trying to swim back upstream? Nowhere, right? The force of the water is so strong, it's way stronger than your ability to to fight against it. It it pushes you, it compels you, it moves you forward. And this is the picture of what Paul is saying. He's saying, when you grasp the love of Christ for you, it is a force that will move you. It will control you. It will push you forward. It will change everything about your life. Now, here's the question for us this morning is, do we believe and understand the love of Christ for us? Do we believe? And understand the love of Christ for us. Now, a lot of us would say, "Well, of course, right?" Right now, my son, before before he goes to sleep every night, we read, and then we'll, we'll sing. Usually, he wants to sing "Jesus Loves Me." Right? Many of us probably, from the time we were little kids, we sang the song "Jesus Loves Me." This I know for the Bible tells me so. So, so we all have the concept in our minds of Jesus' love, but the, that's not the question that I'm asking. You have the concept in your mind. My question is, do you actually believe? and live under the love of Christ for you. Because what Paul is saying is he's saying if you really grasp the love of Christ for you, it will control you. It will affect every part of your life. It will change you, right? You will live completely for Him. Is is that, do, do we experience that? Do we experience love of Christ to the point that it controls us and changes us? That that's our focus in life? For a lot of us, I think if we're honest, we have to say no. Right? We have, a, we have a theoretical concept of God's love for us, but not to the point that it sinks into our heart and controls us and pushes us forward. Why is this? I think there's two major reasons why we, we fail to be affected in this way by the love of Christ. First off is some of us just take it for granted. I mean, I mean let's be honest. When I say Jesus loves you... Some of us are like, that's great, but it doesn't, it doesn't hit you. Right? It, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, honestly. We, we kind of take it for granted. And, and here's what I would say is, is for me, and this, there's times when all of us have that, when we just kind of take the love of Christ for granted. And what I would say is to us, when we, when we are taking the love of Christ for granted, we are failing to understand what this really means. We're failing to grasp the greatness of that statement. Why? Because we don't understand the greatness of who Christ is. We are talking about the one who spoke a word and the universe came into existence. How many of y'all have walked outside on, on a summer night looked up and seen just millions of stars above you? Right, you, you look and you see, ever, ever thought about just the vastness of the universe, how incredibly huge it is, and we think about it, this is, this is the one who spoke a word and all of those stars came into being, this is the one who knows them all by name, he, he holds the universe together, he keeps the earth on its axis. He keeps the right level of oxygen so that we can breathe and not die. He keeps the blood pumping through our veins and into our heart. Not just us, but seven billion people in the world at once. And he loves you personally. He doesn't just know the stars by name. He knows you by name. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. I mean, does this, does this hit us? This is the one who loves you. So if we take it for granted, we don't recognize the greatness of who Christ is. We don't recognize the greatness of this statement of his love for us. I think some of us are on the opposite end. Maybe some of us, maybe some of us don't struggle as much with taking for granted. Maybe, maybe some of us just have a hard time accepting. Right, so and so other end. We can't believe that he really would love us, right? We can't believe that that really could be true. First off, I want to read a passage. I want you to listen to this, and we'll walk through some of the reasons we, we struggle with this. Galatians two twenty. We have it on the screen. It says, "I am crucified with Christ." And later on, it says, "Who loves me and gave himself for me." I want you to. I want you to insert your name into that verse. Right? Say your name. So, who loves Brandt? And gave himself a brand. Say your name in that verse. Because that's what Paul is saying. And he's overwhelmed by this. That his name, God personally loves him. I've been, I've been doing some counseling for the last several years. As, as I've, I've served as a pastor. And, and I've had people come into my office for all different kinds of things. And what, what God has begun to teach me through those experiences and those conversations is, is there's one question that I will ask every time someone comes into my office. What I'll ask them is at the first, do you believe God loves you? And i want to ask, how, the, the initial response to that question, what would you guess that is? Well, somebody says, yeah, well, sure. Right? I believe God loves me. And so I'll just kind of drop it. Right, and we'll talk through some different things. And later on in the conversation, I'll, I'll go back and I'll say to the beginning, do you really believe God loves you personally? And do you live in life that love on a daily basis? What do you think the answer is the second time I ask that question? Almost 100% of the time, it's No. And I'm talking people who are in for all kinds of different reasons. And almost every single one of them, if they're honest, don't believe God loves them. Right? On an experiential basis, they don't really believe this. And here's, here's I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think that just so happens that I have the people who struggle with God's love for them in my office. I think it's a common lie that Satan tells all of us. I really, really believe this. And, and I don't think it's new. Like, I don't think it's just something in our generation, because when I look at the Bible, when you open up to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, what do you see Is the first lie Satan tells Adam and Eve? He gets them to question God's love for them, right? He says, "He says, this God, God's holding out on them. He says God's keeping you from what you, if you, God told you not to eat that fruit, right? But the point, the reason he told you that is he wants you, he, he doesn't want you to experience what would be incredible, right? He's, he's holding out and he's keeping, and so what does he do? The core of that lie is he gets them to question God's love for them. To say, you know what, maybe you're right. When if God really loved me, he would let me eat that fruit so he doesn't love me. And what do they do? They believe the lie. They question God's love, and they do what Satan tells them to do. And what's the result? I mean, destruction. That The earth is cursed. There's pain and death. Why? It's a result of their believing the lie of Satan questioning God's love. And I'm going to tell you, in our lives, when we believe this lie, the same kind of destruction happens. When we really the the lies that God doesn't really love us, it has disastrous consequences on us it leads us to, to constantly live to seek approval from other people it keeps us from being able to be honest and transparent because we're constantly worried about what other people think it leads us to all kinds of addictions to try to cover up the emptiness and the pain that we feel It leads us to to seek satisfaction in so many things that will never satisfy us. Why? Because we're not looking for satisfaction in God's love, which is the only thing that will bring satisfaction. And so this lie absolutely destroys us. It rips us apart. And I think this is why it's so important that we understand this love of God for us. So how do we deal with this? if, if so many of us, if we're completely honest, struggle with this, we don't believe God loves us on an experiential daily basis, how do we change this? What do we do practically? The first thing is we stop listening to ourselves and we start talking to ourselves. I know this sounds weird, but dude, you do that, you talk to yourself. Listen to what? this is. this quote from Mark Moore Jones. He said, I love this quote, it's huge. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself <clears throat> instead of talking to yourself? Yeah? Is, is that true? Most of our unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we're listening to ourselves rather than talking to ourselves. What is he saying? He's saying most of your unhappiness is due to the fact that you let your emotions dictate what you believe in them. You live underneath the chains of your emotions. Now, let me ask this. How stable are our emotions? So, want so an example. Tennessee football fans. How I many fo- Tennessee football fans? Man, I expected that like, every day. Time. Right. When you're watching, whoever it is, Tennessee or whoever it is, when you're watching your team <laughs> play a football game on Saturday afternoon, how stable are your emotions? i mean, be honest. Right? Like you're screaming, kicking the dog. <laughs> when they fumble the ball. And then like what? Like two minutes later, touchdown pass. When you're, when you're, you're laughing, you're high-fiving. Right? Doing a hammer dance. Maybe the sprinkler. crush, <laughs> right? And it's just up and down. Right? That's, that's the way it goes. Our emotions. So think about that. If our emotions can be so impacted. They vacillate so much up and down during a football game. How trustworthy are they, really? Like, are they worth believing? No, I want to say, your emotions are, are not a stable authority. So the way you feel, right, you have to put that underneath the truth of God's word. You have to say, my feelings, on this particular day or this particular hour about maybe God's love for me or my worthiness of that love, I have to put those underneath the truth of God's love for me. I have to talk to myself, preach to myself instead of listening to myself. So how do we do this? We, we read about, I mean, so many of the reasons that we listen to our emotions over the truth of God's word is because we're not taking in the truth of God's word. I mean, so many of us, we're, we're not reading the Bible like ever. And so our emotions run rampant. Our thoughts and beliefs run rampant. Why? Because we're not covering them up with the truths of Scripture. And so we read the Bible. We read about the truths of God's so past- love. We memorize passages. I believe Scripture memory is huge. We memorize passages about God's love for us, so that, so that when we're struggling or we're questioning God's love or when we're down, we can we can speak words to ourselves. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, right? But I'm struggling, sure I can repeat that to myself. And there's power in that. So we have to take in the truth of God's word, memorize it, believe that, preach the gospel to ourselves rather than our feelings. Here's, I love Spurgeon. I'm going to read a long quote. I think we've got it up on the the board. Uh, study then the love of Christ. Search deep and learn its secrets. Think much of the love of Christ till you comprehend with all the saints what are its breadth and lengths. And as you know it, you will begin to feel, this. as you know it, you will begin to feel its power. Its power will be in proportion to your sense of it. Do you feel the love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit? Knowing is well, but enjoying it as a result of believing is better. Does it sometimes force the tears from your eyes to think that Jesus loved you and gave himself for you? As we think upon and meditate upon the truths of God's love for us, it works down from our head and our thinking into our heart and our feeling, and we sense the power of God's love and the only way I can tell you is I've experienced this. I know what this feels like, and I pray that you have too. But it's overwhelming. It's freeing, right? You see, the love of God swells up in you. You feel, you feel the joy. You feel the peace. It doesn't come cheap, right? It comes focusing and searching and leaning into Christ. But it's there, and it's an incredible thing. <laughs> What is your favorite meal? What's your favorite meal? Throw something out of it. Spaghetti. What have got there. Meatloaf, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, mine is a steak, so I'm at the opposite end of the steak. Uh, so last night, when I went out with my family it's in town, we went out, and I got a steak, and I like a steak medium rare. Beautiful thing, right? <laughs> And my parents make some of the best steaks, and I've learned from them the secret to making a great steak, some people might disagree with this, but in my opinion, it's marinating. Right, you got to let that thing sit in some marinade, soak up the juices, and then when you take it, you put it on a plate and cut it, right, you see the juices just flow out. off. Yeah, it's good. Everybody hungry? If you're a vegetarian, I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe tofu totally does that for you. <laughs> <laughs> I want my heart to marinate in the juices of the gospel. And I want to soak up the goodness of God's love. I want to feel that where when you cut me open, I'm just pouring out of me. And I'm not just seeking love from others. I'm not just trying to earn God's love. But I know the truth of God's love, and so it's able to pour out of me into others. Like right? This is what Paul's saying. This is what controls your life. When you soak up and you marinate in the truth of God's love for you, it changes everything. And what are these? Jude? What's the secret recipe, right? For the marinade? It's the gospel. It's no secret. I love the quote J.D. Greer says. He says, the gospel is not just the diving board off of which we jump into the pool of Christianity. It's the pool that we swim in each and every day. It's not just how we get saved, although it is and we rejoice in it. But it's the pool we keep going back to. Like we swim in on a daily basis. What is the gospel? Here we for those of you who have heard the gospel many times, please hear this with fresh ears, because it's goodness today, just as much it was goodness the day you first believed it. The gospel is to begin with: we are all enemies of God. We have all sinned, and the result of that, Colossians one twenty one says, we are alienated from Him because of our sin. We have we have said to our Creator, the one who formed us. You're not my Lord. I'm going to go my own way. And because of this, we're enemies of God. We're separated from Him, and we deserve as punishment eternal death. And God is just, so we can't just ignore our sin. We can't just sweep it under the rug, pretend like it didn't happen. It must be punished. And the punishment it deserves is death. That's is what you see Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin, what sin deserves is death. Ezekiel 18.4, the soul who sins shall die. It's the punishment we deserve, and God can't just let us off the hook or He would not be just. But the good news for us is God is not only a just God, but He's a loving God. Even when we were still in our sin, when we were still enemies of God, He sent His Son to be our substitute. This, is, this, this concept of Jesus as our substitute is all over this 2 Corinthians 5. We see it, for one has died for all, which means in the place of, as our substitute. For our sake, Jesus died and was raised. Through Christ, God reconciled us to ourselves. We were separated, and he, he brought us back together through the substitutionary death of Jesus in our place. Verse 21, this is is like one of the greatest verses in the scripture as far as explaining the gospel. He made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus came, that we had sinned, and we were separated from God. Jesus came, and he lived the perfect, sinless life we all failed to live in our places, our substitute. This is good news. Because over and over and over in our lives we're going to fail. And every time we do, we need the righteousness of Jesus in our place. Right? There, there's, there's a song and there's a concept in there that, that, that God is the God of second chances. Maybe you guys have heard this. And I, I, I think there's goodness to that, but here's the question: God is not just, it's not just like God gives us a second chance to go out and get it right. We would need a million chances. But Jesus lived perfectly in our place. Perfectly righteous, but then he didn't just live in our place. He died our death. The sins that we, the, the worst sin, I mean, the, the sins that you would, you would cringe to think that anyone else in this room could ever know about. The things you've done. The Bible says Jesus took those upon himself. And the punishment and the penalty that those sins deserved, he paid. In our place on the cross. He he took the punishment. We were separated from God as his enemies. And Jesus took that separation on the cross. The Son of God, the one who for all of eternity lived in perfect unity and relationship with the Father took our separation and he cries out on the cross god why have you forsaken me he took our sin so that we could be made righteous and he took our separation so that we could be reconciled so that we can have a relationship with god this is not something we got to close this is not something that we can earn Right? This is not something that we can do enough good deeds to deserve. It's something that we simply have to believe and receive. We have to recognize our hopelessness and Christ's perfect righteousness. We have to trust that, that our sin deserves yeah. punishment, and Christ took that punishment in our place, and he offers us forgiveness in the best news of the gospel and reconciliation with God. Father. Reconciliation is just two parties who are separate, two parties that are enemies, right? Coming back together in perfect union as friends. That's that's the good news of the gospel, right? It's not just that we get heaven or that we get to see our loved ones or that we get good things on this earth. The goodness of the gospel is we get God. We get reconciled into a relationship with him where you can experience his presence, we can know His love. And so here's what i want to say this morning. If you have never trusted Christ, right? maybe you have a, a head knowledge, but you've never experienced the love of God in your heart. You don't know Him in a relational way. The call of Scripture is today is the day of salvation. All you have to do, Jesus has done all the work, all you have to do is recognize your sinfulness and trust in your Savior. And He will forgive your sins, reconcile to God, make you a new person. So that's the call. If you've never done that today, please do that. We'll be back in the care and prayer room. I'll be up here. Please, trust Christ.
1: But maybe some of us, and and I would
0: ask for the volunteers who are going to be taking over supper, if you would go ahead and begin preparing that. Some of us this morning, we would say we've been saved, but, but our hearts have grown cold. Or maybe we're not living for Christ. We're we're not living with that focus, that purpose in our lives. And here's, here's what I want to tell you. You can't just will yourself back into that place. You can't just, just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and do enough good things to get back in that place of, of experiencing what it's like in relation to in relationship with Christ. You have to once again be overwhelmed by the good news of the gospel. Once again, be reminded of of Jesus' love for you in spite of your sinfulness. And experience that. And when you really have that experience, then you'll live your life completely for Christ. Dwelling Chavidian. funny last name. Billy Graham's grandson. uh, That's a pastor. And uh, one of the things he said, he tells a story of of a girl during the Civil War era who, who had been in slavery. And there was a man from the north who, who went and, and he bought her and, and he took her with him and as they were walking away from the slave trade, he, he told her, you're free. She said, what do you mean? She said, do you mean I can, I can say whatever I want to say? So said, yeah. You mean I can do whatever I want to do so said, yeah, you I, mean, I can go wherever I want to go. He said, yes, you can go wherever you want to go. Her response was, that I want to go with you. Because she knew the love of this one who would pay so that she could be set free. Here's the point this morning. For those of us in that place, if you experience the freedom that Christ brings to you, if you experience his love, you don't want to live a life of sin. Not so that you can earn God's love, but out of appreciation for God's love. And so that's why, I call this morning. We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. And I do want to remind you all that this is something for Christians. It's something that we do because of what Christ has done for us. Uh, but as we take the Lord's Supper, what we do is we remember... This is, this is a picture. As I said earlier, one of the best things that we can do is remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. And this is one of the best ways that we do that. Is we look at the bread and we remember the body of Christ that was broken for us. And we look at the blood and we remember the blood of Christ, or the juice, and we remember the blood of Christ that was filled with us. I want just to take some time, as we, as we get the elements, I want you to think about that. that the punishment that Christ took in place, the price he paid, so that you can be free from sin. And then and then out, not only to earn God's love, but out of appreciates before God's love, lay yourself down. Right? Surrender your life to following Christ. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.